0: This is Pastor Pat, broadcasting live from the Movement Church, uh, from our house to your living room. We love the fact that uh, we're all together. Uh, Hey, we miss you guys desperately. Perhaps you're on this morning because somebody sent you a link or shared uh, one of our channels to you, so welcome across all of our platforms. Uh, It's been so good to see everyone joining in from across the country um, and even some international uh, viewers, so I just want to welcome all of you here. We're going to be in the book of Second Chronicles, uh, chapter 20 this morning. Same passage we were in last week, and we're going to be in that passage again. Uh, probably one of the easiest ways, perhaps you're joining us for the first time, um, I want to give you permission right now to go ahead and go to your app store or pertinent store on your device and download our Movement Church app. Uh, one of the easiest ways to follow along with us on a Sunday morning is on our app. I do my best to put all my notes into uh, the app so that you're able to follow along and not have to jump all over the place. Perhaps you like just using good old-fashioned page and Bible. That's fine. But I put all the passages that I'm going to be speaking out of into the sermon notes from Sunday morning, as well as it has the ability for you to put your notes into it and, and review them at a later date. So, uh, go ahead and download that now, if you'd like. Make sure not to spill your warm coffee or whatever chosen morning drink you have all over the place. We've been in a series. We 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 talked about um, actually as all of this stuff transpired, as as COVID nineteen and uncertainty and anxiety and fear seemed to really rise to the surface. Uh, one of the biggest questions that we had was, how do we respond to the unknown? How do we respond to the unknown? And last week, what I did was, is I just took us, I, I, made a, I, I made a call on the fly, and I pivoted, and I thought, we have to speak to this, because it was probably one of the most pressing questions that we were getting. So how do we respond to the unknown? Last week, we said we need to respond with purpose. And this idea of purpose, it was aim, intentionality, it was with meaning, it was with focus, and we, we read about this king, his name's Jehoshaphat, in the Old Testament of the Bible in the book of Second Chronicles chapter 20, and uh, one of the interesting things that I wanted to uh, press us into today was I wanted to talk about uh, Jehoshaphat, he responded with focus, but what was the first area, what was the first thing? My first question that I ask is, okay, King Jehoshaphat responded with purpose and with focus. What's the first thing he focused on? And that's what we're going to look at today. Why don't you join me reading 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. We're going to read the first three to four verses, and then we're going to break this down a little bit. Alright, verse one says, After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Mayanites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom and from the other side of the sea. It is already and has on Tamar, that is, the Engedi. Alarmed or feared. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Now, I want to talk very quickly about what King Jehoshaphat's immediate response was. And then I'm going to define some things centered around that response. The first thing that we see happen is is that King Jehoshaphat receives some information. He's sitting in a position of the unknown. He feels like the imminent attack from these three nations that have gotten together and created this like super army, super tribe. They're going to come and attack him. He feels like this is imminent and there's some unknown there. Perhaps there's some fear. Perhaps there's some anxiety. Perhaps there's a little bit of uncertainty from King Jehoshaphat. And his first response is, is he aims his fear, his uncertainty, his anxiety. He aims his focus toward prayer and fasting. I'm going to read in uh, the New King James Version. I love uh, this translation. It says, and Jehoshaphat feared, this is verse three, we just read this, and Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. So it's this picture of Jehoshaphat as a leader. He sets himself, he aims himself, he focuses himself first on inquiring or setting himself to seek the Lord. And we see just after this that he prays and he sets the the nation on a fast. So prayer and fasting, the first thing King Jehoshaphat focuses on, the very first response, his go-to response in this case, is he's going to pray and he's going to fast. And let me talk very quickly and define what prayer and fasting are. Now, I'm going to define prayer and fasting based on my understanding and being centered on my faith. So, prayer, some people think it is meditation. Prayer is simply this. It's seeking God through dialogue. There's two words that are very, very important here. Seeking God through dialogue. Seeking and dialogue are very important in this. So, prayer is is the seeking of God it's 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 not that i one time came to god to have a conversation but i'm seeking that that there's a repetitive action in me that i'm coming back to god over and over and i'm having this ongoing dialogue it wasn't a one time conversation that there's a dialogue that's trans that, that, that's being trans uh, transformed and we're we're having this conversation It's reciprocal dialogue points to the reciprocity or to the give and take of this conversation. It's not a monologue. It's not me. In fact, a lot of times in my life, I've looked at prayer as I'm going to go to God, and it's a monologue. God, here's all my problems, and then it's just blah, 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 and I go through all of my problems, 101 things that I need him to solve, I need him to fix, and my problems are bigger than any of the other things that are going on, and I need you to take care of all those problems. A dialogue says, God, I'm here to have a conversation with you and I'm seeking you. So this is going to be an ongoing dialogue. So I know that you may not give me all the answers I need now, but we're in a dialogue. So at some point in this dialogue, you're going to give me some nuggets of truth that are really important. But I'm willing to speak and I'm more willing to listen. Dialogue requires both speaking and listening. Fasting. Let me talk about fasting very quickly. Again, I'm going to focus in on on uh, centered on my faith and what Scripture, what the Bible, this book with 66 smaller books written. I'm going to focus in on what this says about fasting. It's the giving up of food or something else for a period of time in order to focus your hunger toward God. Let me say that again: fasting is the giving up of food or something else for a period of time in order to focus your hunger toward God. I am hungry for a lot of things. I know that there, there's, there's times that I get hungry for certain foods. You may experience you get hungry for certain foods. You, I'm going to use the word uh, hungry uh, a, a bit figuratively, but sometimes we get hungry to go somewhere. We get hungry to do something. We get hungry to flip open our phone and see what the latest post was on our favorite uh, media platform. We have hungers in a lot of areas of our lives. And what fasting is, it's the giving up of food or perhaps one of those other things for a period of time in order to focus that hunger that I feel. When I feel that hunger, I don't focus on on trying to satiate the hunger with these other things. I focus and all of that toward God. And what I'm saying is, God, that you're gonna satiate the hunger because I'm coming to you right now. I'm seeking you in dialogue. I'm seeking you in this reciprocity of conversation, and I'm fasting and I'm focusing all of my hunger toward you. Prayer and fasting are our fastest route to the heart of God. Prayer and fasting become our fastest route to the heart of God. Oftentimes, in uncertain situations, in situations where we don't know what's gonna happen, one of the biggest questions that I try to, I try to really teach myself to ask, and, and you might've heard me say this before, is I wanna know what God is doing in the situation, sometimes more than what God is doing about the situation. I want to know what God is doing in the circumstance more sometimes than what God is doing about the circumstance. I want to know what his heart is, what his position is, and what he's after, what his plan is, what his promises might be, and what he's trying to do through the circumstances more than to the circumstances. And prayer and fasting are the fastest route to aligning me to the heart that God is carrying for the circumstances. So here we have Jehoshaphat, he focuses an entire nation's hunger to be saved. Because I'm going to make an assumption here, but they all are feeling the pressure of this super army made up of three nations. I mean, can you imagine this for a second? Three nations banding together, the super army. They're feeling the pressure that this super army of three nations is going to attack them. And they surely think that, they have, that, that there's this uncertainty, fear, anxiety that they're thinking that this is the end, that they're going to be attacked and this is going to be their destruction. So he focuses an entire nation's hunger on being saved. He focuses their hunger toward God through prayer and fasting. One of the key things that I, I, I read in this is this word seek. Now, you heard me say that in prayer, what we're doing is we're seeking God through dialogue. And then we read in Second Chronicles 20, verse 3, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. I want to talk about this word seek very quickly. Because this word seek has some implications as it pertains to prayer and fasting, that I think you and I, if we can understand the depth of what this word means in English, seek is like little kids play hide and go seek. All of our kids were playing out in the neighborhood the other day, keeping, of course, six feet of separation. Uh, we're we're very keen as parents to do that. But uh, if if you're like me, you you I cannot keep seven kids pent up inside of the house twenty four seven, and so there's these periods of the day that uh, we, we have a rule, It's and, and this is what all the kids say. They say, ride or go inside. They ride their bikes or they have to go inside the house. They have to stay away from each other and they have to keep moving. And uh, it can be a little bit like herding kittens sometimes, but that's okay. And they love to play. The other day they started playing hide and seek, which was great because one person, it, they, they they stand and they count to 10 or 20 and all the other kids disperse. And now they're like 30 feet away from each other. So that was a brilliant game because now they're gonna be really far away from each other, but it's hide and seek. And so we hear the word seek and we go, okay, hide and seek, it's a kid's game. And the word seek in English just kind of becomes like, oh yeah, I was seeking after, you could be seeking after that item that the store is out of right now. I know the other day I was seeking after some food that I really needed uh, because of my diet. Uh, so the word seek is is got some really good, connotations but I want to give you a deeper level of understanding what seek means. In the Hebrew, the word seek means to trample underfoot. To trample underfoot. So in the midst of trying to keep our our house quarantined, my wife loves going outside. She loves going on hikes. Now we're lucky that we live in our neighborhood, just behind our neighborhood. There's some really wide open green pasture fields with hills. No one's around. You might see one or two other people uh, in these hills behind our house. And especially now that everyone's staying more inside, uh, you're you're highly unlikely to see anybody. And so my wife says, you know, hey, would you go on a walk with us and the family? And I was going to do a workout. I said, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to go for a walk with all you guys. So we all went out. And we're walked out of our neighborhood and we get off of the, the concrete onto a pathway. And as we're walking on this path, my wife says, I'm going to go walk over there. And she starts walking off of the main path. And I'm wondering, like, how do you know where you're going? And as I look, that, that there's a pathway that's been beaten down where you can see that people have walked out into the middle of this open land just to get out into the middle of the open. And she said, because I walked this way before. And because, it, because the word seek, because my wife had seen that people had been seeking open space. They had been trampling underfoot the ground so the grass was beat down that she knew that this was the pathway and she had been that way before. She had frequented that way before. So a family, we walked out, we meandered out into this open field and it was great and we took a couple photos and had a good time avoiding mud and slipped and fell a couple times. The word seek is this picture of the grounds between myself and God being trampled under my feet. That I'm beating a path into the ground between me and God because it's so frequent that I make my way from where I'm at to where He is. Did so this idea of seeking God, we used a scripture last week seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. It's not a one time. Deal. It's not that I seek God one time, but there's a frequency that happens, and in fact, that frequency is so high that if someone else were to come along, they would be able to see there is a pathway between Pat and between that destination. There is a pathway that's been beaten down in the ground. You could tell that there's been a journey that's taken place multiple times, repetitively, over and over between myself and God. That prayer and fasting is this this idea of seeking God and seeking him in frequency, not just a one-time deal. Oftentimes we approach God with prayer or potentially you've fasted before and you've you've approached God with prayer and fasting. And and this is the language that I know in my life that I've used, and maybe you can relate to this, that I approach God. Sometimes I, I rely mostly on myself, God, and I rely on you a little bit. I rely mostly on my own wisdom. I rely mostly on my own strength. I rely mostly on my own ability to rationalize. I I rely mostly on my plans, on my strategy, and the things that I've promised myself in my life. I rely mostly on myself and a little bit on you. And prayer and fasting turns that all over and says, God, I rely mostly on you there's a level of humility to come underneath God and come underneath what he says, to come underneath what he wants to do in and through a circumstance, on what he wants to do in my heart and in my life, that I rely mostly on you, God, that prayer and fasting is me getting to a place where I'm giving over myself, I'm giving over my desires and my will to say, God, let your will be done. And Jehoshaphat knows in this moment that he needs a God solution. He doesn't need a Jehoshaphat solution. Maybe today you're sitting, no matter where you're listening from, and you realize we're two weeks in, and there's a lot of unknown, and things that we didn't know became more known, and then other things became more unknown, so things don't necessarily feel like they're getting better. Some are getting better in some regards, but others just become further and more distant, and like Jehoshaphat, we realize that you may realize that you need a God solution in the middle of your circumstances. I'm going I'm to say that Jehoshaphat ends up taking what I call his power position, this power position of prayer and fasting. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Why, let me ask this question first. Why, out of all the things, out of everything that Jehoshaphat could have responded with, why did he choose prayer and fasting? Now, just, just quickly for some context to understand, Jehoshaphat was a king preceding him were a couple of great kings themselves and some promises that God had given to those kings and to their ancestors. And in chapter seven of 2 Chronicles, the same book just earlier, 13 chapters earlier, this is what God says. Then if my people who were called by my name will humble themselves... And pray and seek my face. Beat down a pathway frequently to get face to face with me. And turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. Promise. I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and restore their land. Prayer and fasting is a way of truly humbling yourself and bringing yourself underneath God's plans and promises and his power. So I call it our power position. When I was, I I remember the very first time I went and uh, I I started cycling uh, when I started doing triathlons and I went to a guy who was a master of uh, bike fitting. And what that means is, is that you take your bike, you take it to him. And he puts the seat, the handlebars, and all these different uh, positions, and he gets the geometry right so that your knee is in the right place over your foot, and you don't end up with knee pain and back pain and shoulder pain and neck pain. And you can get the most you can get the most out of this bicycle and out of your body because you are the engine. You are the determining factor of what's going to drive this bicycle. And so he looks at me and he says, I need you to be in a power position. And I said, what's a power position? He said, every sport, if you break it down, pretty much brings you into this position right here. It's square over your hips. There's lots of stability and power and it's explosive. When I played football when I was younger, the coaches would tell me, I need you in this position. I need you to be able to, with power and strength and stability, I need you to be able to to, to put your hands in the chest of a wide receiver coming off the line. It's a power position. And when we put ourselves in this power position, we're readying ourselves For the play and for the plan that God is calling in our lives. So Jehoshaphat understands that in his history, what he's been taught from his ancestors is you need to assume your power position, Jehoshaphat. You're you're, you're stepping to the line, game is on. We're getting ready to play, the whistle is blown. The super team, the super tribe, the super army is about to attack and you got a problem and you're under pressure. I need you to assume and you've been taught Jehoshaphat that when everything looks bleak and you don't know how you're going to get out of it and it's unknown, you're going to assume your power position. And power position in this case is prayer and fasting. And it's, and it's lovely how in verse four, it says the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Now, I, I, just, I just wanna point this out very quickly. I'm gonna, read, I'm gonna read this scripture and there's two things happening in this scripture. And if, and if we don't slow down a little bit and talk, we're, we're gonna miss it. And this is super important. In verse four, it says, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Now, if I read that, it's, every time I would read that, I would say, why did they repeat themselves? You just told me the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came together every, from every town in Judah to seek him. But they're actually talking about this chronicle of this circumstance is talking about two different things that are happening in verse four. It's pointing us to the fact that prayer and fasting seek help for our problem, but more importantly, seek God himself. Prayer and fasting are great power positions for us to approach a problem with, but in doing so are the real search and the real seek of our heart becomes for God himself first. Why? Because I want God to be evident in the middle of my circumstance more than I want information. Let me say this a different way. I want God to reveal himself in person in my circumstance more than just reveal to me some information on how I can handle the circumstance. I want the presence of God with me more than I want just his words or what he might be able to inform me to say. This is telling me prayer and fasting is a way to get help, but more importantly, get to God himself. Let me reread this. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Yeah, they had a problem and they said, God, we're going to come to you seeking help. Indeed, then it backs up and says, indeed. They came from every town in Judah to seek him. The solution to our problems that we get through prayer and fasting aren't necessarily the answers to our problems. But it's the proximity that we get before God. We end up closer to God, which changes me. When I'm closer to God, it changes me. And oftentimes, oftentimes, I need to be changed more than my circumstances need to be changed. Oftentimes, God is after changing me and changing me first before ever addressing the circumstances. So Jehoshaphat's prayer and his his fasting, what they do is they place his problem. He says, yeah, God, I know I got a problem, but I need the priority list. I, 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 need, I need things set up in proper order. So Jehoshaphat's prayer is fascinating to me because what it does is, is it places his problem underneath some key things from God. Let's look at verse six through 12 really quickly. It says in verse five, it says the Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, he prayed, he, this is Jehoshaphat's prayer. They've been fasting, they've been seeking God and then he prays publicly. We don't know, it's not recorded what the personal prayers are. This is a public prayer and he says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? He, and again, I said this last week, he's not standing there and he's not praying publicly saying, God, are, are you the God in heaven? It's a rhetorical question meant to motivate the heart. He's saying, Lord, the God of our ancestors, I'm remembering who you are. I'm remembering that you're the God of power and of promise, not only for me in my current unknown circumstance, but for my entire ancestry, you've been that God. And I understand where you're at. Aren't you the Are you not the God who is in heaven? seated above all of these circumstances, because if you're the God who is in heaven, you are not a God who can be sitting on a pedestal next to me, and you are not a God who has to succumb to the circumstances. You are God who is above those circumstances. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before the temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. In that, in that verse, in verse nine, if calamity comes upon us, this is what that, if calamity comes upon us, this is what it's saying. I'm presenting to you the problem, God. But first I want to declare your power. I want to declare your promise. And I want to declare your plan are all better and are all seated above my problem. And by him saying, if calamity comes upon us, what is, what is Jehoshaphat saying? He's saying, God, I know that in my head, I have a plan. I could tell you how I think you should plan to exercise my escape from invasion. But God, even if calamity comes, even if your plan looks different than my plan, my problem is submitted As I am submitted, as I am humbly coming to you and I'm submitted to you through prayer and fasting, my problem is also being brought to you and submitted underneath your power, your promise, and your plan. And I will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us, promise. We cry out to him. We're desperately hungry. This is what he's saying, God, We are coming to a God full of power, promise, and a plan for our life. And we are desperately hungry for you to move on our behalf, however you see fit to move. In fact, God, change me first if you need. But I am willing to do whatever it takes. In verse 10 through 12, Jehoshaphat finally gets to presenting his problem. And by the way, this is just a reminder. I don't think God needs to be reminded of Jehoshaphat's problem. I think we need sometimes to come to God with our problems as an exercise of sacrifice. I'm going to say this, an exercise of sacrifice. God, I'm going to bring my problem like a sacrifice before you and lay it down. God knows what the problem is. He just needs you to exercise the faith to bring your problem before him underneath his power, promises, and plans. He sees your problem. But when I want to hold on to my problem, when you want to hold on to your problem and you want to try to exercise your power, all of your own personal promises and your plan over that problem, God, I think, he's he's a brilliant God. He says, I'm not going to force you. You go ahead and you handle it. But there's a willingness and a humility that Jehoshaphat has when he says, here's your power, promise, and plan. Now I'm going to bring myself as I've brought myself and my problem underneath the prominence of who you are. And so he says, But now here are the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. God, we were obedient to you. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession that you gave us as an inheritance. God, I just Josephatz like God, I just want to remind you that these men are trying to perpetrate a fraud against your promise that you gave to me and my ancestors. Our God, will you not judge them for that? For we have no power to face the vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's this idea that Jehoshaphat drags his problem underneath the power and the promises and the plan of God. And he bookends it by saying, here's my problem. Submit it underneath who you are. Here's my problem. And I'm going to end it on your promise. God, will you not judge them? That is a promise that you've given to me and given to my ancestors. Family, that is a promise that God has given to you and to all of your ancestors. It is a promise that God is the judge over your circumstances. that God is the judge over your problems. Prayer and fasting, I, 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 this, is, this is key. I want I want to really grab a hold of this. You might you might want, you might want to like home church high five or AKA punch the person next to you watching this when I say this. Some of you might wanna stand up and shout at your computer or your TV. You might wanna like give like a loud spiritual hallelujah. You may wanna start tapping right now in the chat rooms and dialoguing with everyone of our ministry leaders online and tell them like a resounding amen when I say this. Prayer and fasting is your way of submitting to God instead of submitting to your circumstances. Come on, family. I can't, it's like I can hear you right now. Prayer and fasting is a way for you and I to submit to God instead of our circumstances. And for some of us, we are wholly submitted to our circumstances that we're in right now. We are wholly submitted to our circumstances, and that's why. We have sleepless nights. And that's why we're experiencing high levels of anxiety. And that's why we're experiencing high levels of depression. And that's why we're experiencing high levels of that uncertain feeling that leads to fear. And that is why we're dealing with all the problems that we're dealing with right now, is because we're more submitted to our circumstances and what our circumstances say and what we feel like the promises of our circumstances are. And we're not submitted to God and His promises and we're giving more power to our circumstances than we are to our God and we're giving more more plan and promise to our circumstances than we are to our God and when we pray and we fast, we submit ourselves to God, his promises, his power and his plan and we cut off and we say no to. When we say yes to God over here and submit to him, we say no to the power and the plan of the enemy that he has for us over here. When we say yes to who God is, in our life through prayer and fasting here, we are cutting off the head of the enemy that wants to strike against us right here. Now you could go ahead and slap somebody sitting next to you if you want. God wants to change us sometimes more than our circumstances. Prayer and fasting bring us into a position of power. It gives us the power back when we submit ourselves to God. 2 Chronicles 20.13. Man, look at the power of this. All the men of Judah, all their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Can you imagine right now? Can you imagine right now in every neighborhood across the world? Can you imagine walking outside right now? If if I told you to walk outside with your smart, get, get on your phone. Get on YouTube, get on Facebook, get on our app, get on our website, whatever platform you're watching, get on your phone and walk outside into the street. Can you imagine for a second that across our entire nation, in every street, in every city, in every state across our nation, if every man, if every wife, if every woman, if every child, if every baby right now could step outside and look to the left and look to the right and see the strength of standing before God together in the middle of an unknown circumstance. And that's what was happening right here in this nation that everyone stood there together. They were able to see the power of what it was that God was giving them through prayer and through fasting. We respond with prayer and fasting to focus our sights, therefore, family, on what is known and not focus our sights on what is unknown. And we know the character of God. He is unchanging. He never moves. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His promises will never change and never fail. Here's a couple things for you To answer right in your home, right in your living room, right in your living space. Here's the first question that I have for you this morning. Where have your beaten pathways led you to? Because I know that my response in difficult circumstances is not always first thing to run straight to God. I, I wish I could tell you that I was perfect. I know I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to tell you that, but it would be a lie. And in and, and, and all transparency and vulnerability, I'm telling you, it is not my first response all the time. And you know as well as I do, you can you can. You can look right now in your life. You know, you get a sense in your heart right now where are those pathways that you find that you run to first, where they lead you to. Let me ask you this question. Are they hopeful or are they hopeless? Here's the next question. How can you dialogue with God to focus your sights on his power, promises, and plan today? How can you dialogue? Simply put, I'm gonna make this really simple for you today. You may just need to stop right now and say this. In fact, I'm going to walk with you through this and I'm just going to say this. You Just stop and say, God, I am here right now in my home, in my car, in my workplace, wherever I'm at. I'm here right now and I'm starting a dialogue with you. I'm starting a conversation that is going to last a lifetime. It's not a one and done. I'm going to beat... I'm going to beat... The ground. I'm going to beat a pathway into the ground from where I'm at to where you are as I dialogue with you. God, today I pray. I begin a prayer with you, a dialogue with you, God, as a father and as a friend, as a deliverer, as a savior. God, I want to hear from you, I want to hear what you have to say about me. In the midst of the unknown, I want, I want to hear from you and tell me the things that you know about me. God, I want to tell you the things that I know about you. I, I, want to, I want to reinforce in my heart the things that I know about you. And lastly today, what is something that you can give up in order to focus your hunger toward God? Now here's my challenge for you today. My challenge for you today is that at some point today, as you get hungry for something, maybe it's you want to pull. You, you're, it's like your phone is buzzing in your back pocket, but it's not buzzing. I know you all experience that, and you like you're like, oh, I think someone's calling. Some oh, text me. Oh, oh, nothing. We find ourselves repeatedly checking our phones, looking at the every 30 seconds. For what reason? Because you're trying to satiate a hunger that you've developed in your brain. For you, it might be, you know, today, God, for two hours, I'm gonna set aside all of my devices. I'm not gonna get online. I'm not gonna look at the media. I'm not gonna beat a pathway to my favorite media platforms. I'm just gonna, every time I think about it, every time I wanna grab my phone, in fact, I'm not gonna have my phone on me, but that buzz is still there. That's even freakier. I know you've all experienced it. But every time that hunger comes up, I'm gonna focus my hunger towards you. Maybe you're gonna skip a meal. Maybe instead of turning toward that afternoon drink, you're going to set it aside and you're going to know, I'm going to use this time that every time, man, I really wish I could have a drink because this drink's going to help me relax and find some peace. And you're going to turn actually to the comforter and to the one who brings peace. Can I tell you, family, that you are going to develop an appetite for what you feed yourself with? And fasting helps us develop an appetite for more of God and who he is. This morning, you have an opportunity. If you could join me, just close your eyes. I'm gonna pray very quickly. Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus. Lord, I bring all things that I'm about to say underneath the name of your son, Jesus. And I start by saying, Thank you for being our promise. Thank you for being our promise. Thank you for coming and doing what I couldn't do. Thank you for reconciling what I couldn't reconcile. And you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, not that I don't believe in Jesus, but today that you don't have a dialogue with him, you don't have a, a repetitious time of frequency with him, you're not seeking after him. It's not, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not following after. I'm not seeking, if if you're not doing those things, right now is your time, this is your morning. This is the most important part of everything that we've walked through is your moment right here to simply say, Jesus, and you can say this out loud or you can say it in your heart, it doesn't matter. Jesus, I'm opening a dialogue with you to submit myself and my life underneath, just like Jehoshaphat brought his problems underneath, to submit my life underneath the authority, the promises, the power, and the plan of your name, Jesus. That in doing that, you have become Lord over my life. Like Jehoshaphat, said, God, you are Lord over my problem. We thank you, God, that you are the great reconciler, that you're a restorer, that you're a peacemaker. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you bring that peace into every single home, every single person that hears my voice, every single person that watches this during the week, every single person that that someone shares this with, and they need a little bit of peace right now in, in, in the midst of the unknown. God, I pray right now that you release your peace into the homes and the hearts of every single person that hears this. That today something would be different. There would be a shift in the midst of the unknown. That there would be something that we can grab a hold of that said, God, your promises never fail. The person of who you are never changes. And your plan is mightier than anything that I could plan for myself. And we thank you, God, this morning. In Jesus' powerful name, everyone says amen. And amen, family, we love you. I cannot tell you how much I miss all of you. We're praying for you and we long for the day. It is going to be a massive party. The day we get to stand shoulder to shoulder and face to face and worship and sing and pray and scream hallelujah and give each other hugs and high fives. God, I look forward to family. I look forward to that day and until that day. We love you. Stay close as we stay connected. We see you on Wednesday for Wednesday Night Live and we look forward to seeing you the next time we're shoulder to shoulder and face to face. We love you guys.